How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Dr. Joe. Dr. Joe Show. Radio. Well, hello there, Mark. Hello, Dr. Joe. How have you been? I've been quite well, actually. Um, I recovered from the flu, uh, which was, I, I think a lot of people probably have the flu this year um whether they want to take a vaccination for it or not something that we can talk about perhaps but it's um much better everything's going well how about you how are you doing i'm doing all right had a little uh little slip and fall yesterday though my goodness are you all right what happened oh goodness dr joe sometimes um Sometimes you're moving in too many directions at too quick a pace and uh, life life steps in the way. Or or stumbles in the way, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, I blew out my knee yesterday on that uh, on that, that ice. Yeah, there was a lot of ice. We will be talking to an amazing individual. Actually, I've known this gentleman for a very long time. Uh, he's been practicing law for over 30 years years dr joe 30 years he's had clients who've sought out his counsel to shepherd them through complex legal problems client focused and ethically creative ron baruti looks for and finds solutions to the toughest problems in those instances where an adversary refuses to avoid conflict well ron's philosophy is that he is the client's sword and shield and was taught as a very young practitioner to never stop swinging. What Ron's doing these days in the states of New York, New Jersey, and many of our other states in the union through help and affiliations of other lawyers is helping to work with individuals who are confronted with somewhat, some might say, the overstepping of government. So certain situations where the little guy needs help with government regulations or mandates. And today I am honored to welcome attorney Ron Baruti, partner at Murray Nolan Baruti. Welcome, Ron. How are you, Mark? Well, we are. I am delighted to have you on, Ron. Um, Nice to meet you. I, I did get a chance to listen to your uh, podcast with Mark Stiles, which was pretty amazing as well. Mark, you want to just talk about that for a moment? Yeah. So so I have a podcast called Elements of Styles, and, and I've known Ron for a while. And I said, Ron, I'd love to have you on and talk about some of the really interesting cases that you've been working on, because he is working on some really wonderful cases to help individuals stand up and and show that there is an equal balance in the justice system and and we're really proud of ron and and what work he's doing and ron i'm hoping that maybe you can update us and tell us a little bit about what you are doing and and who you're working with these days thanks uh thanks for the kind words uh, uh 
so uh, right now, my uh, big case that is garnering actually a lot of media attention is uh, it's going to be on Epic Times about it. I'm pretty sure uh, is uh, the case where we're suing a New Jersey school district and the New Jersey Attorney General and um, Acting Commissioner of Education for violating the parental rights of a father whose daughter. Uh, as a minor daughter was being transitioned, uh, socially transitioned, uh, quote unquote, to a boy at, in her high school without the father's knowledge, consent. Um, and uh, and they actually kept it, they, they did a real job of keeping it secret from the father. Um, and the they never looked into what this girl's background was or anything else. She had had a traumatic childhood. Her mother died young. Um, she was already uh, undergoing uh, therapy and uh, had a uh, MD on the case and was treating her conservatively uh, for her issues. And the father's very supportive. It's just that she's a minor right now and wants to make sure that uh, everything's being done uh, the, the right way and not willy nilly. Uh, but the school decided that they, they were going to transition this child. The first time she indicated that she may want to be a boy, they immediately uh, affirmed her gender identity and told all the teachers and staff in the school, except two who knew the family because uh, they wanted to keep it secret from the family. And uh, when the father found out months later by accident from a friend uh, at a dinner, which was incredibly humiliating and traumatic, uh, the, uh, they, they saw the cease and desist from the school. And the school said, no, we're going to continue doing this. And uh, this is how it has to be. And so we were brought in to file suit. And they, the school said it was based upon state law and federal law that they were doing it. So we brought in the state attorney general to sue to make sure that the state attorney general cannot enforce any laws that would violate the parents' rights. And we sued under the 14th Amendment of the Constitution uh, for various parental rights that uh, is somewhat unsettled law, but we think that we have a shot at really making a national case for uh, the, the parents' rights in situations like this, that the parents have to be fully informed and that the parents have to consent after being only after being fully informed can this happen to their child. Hmm. What a fascinating case. I, I, I really do want to talk a lot more about this, but um, time is so strange. But so what I'd like to do is just get the consent of our sponsors just to give us what they're talking about. Um, and then, I mean, that is part of their right. And then we were going to come back, Larry, and we're going to be talking with Ron Baruti about what's really an interesting case. Folks, stay right there. We'll be right back with the Dr. Joe Show. Hey, folks, thank you for listening to the Dr. Joe Show. We've been investigating whether or not we want to bring sponsors into our podcast. What are your thoughts? Do you know somebody who might be a good partner with the Dr. Joe Show who may want to align their product or service with the Dr. Joe Show? Think about it. And we're back with the Dr. Joe show talking with attorney Ron Baruti about civil rights, rights of our citizens here in the United States of America in 2024. Yeah. And, and this is a fascinating um, case that you have in terms of parental rights versus the right of somebody. And it doesn't sound like you're disputing the right of this person to decide what gender they are. That doesn't sound like what the case is. The case is, can a school keep that secret from a parent? Am I missing something here? 
No, you're absolutely correct. In fact, the the, the father uh, is uh, very supportive of his daughter, uh, understands and knew before this happened that she was having some of these feelings and uh, pledged to support her. But that has to happen when she's an adult, when her brain is a little bit more fully informed and formed and that she's also more informed as, as a human being and uh, better able to make um, choices that can have everlasting impact on her life. I mean, that that component is is a very interesting and hot topic about. I mean, we certainly know that the adolescent brain continues to develop into the 20s. I mean, my my wife says that my brain has not fully developed yet. <laughs> Um, and I'm long after my 20s. But the other thing is, how do we decide what our identity is? And again, I, I'm not sure that that's really what what you're discussing in the case. Um, but it's a really, it's a hot topic. Just curious, how, how does somebody approach you with, with this sort of a concern? Well, uh, I have uh, my, my partner, Gwyneth Murray Nolan and I now married. Um, we started this law firm January 1st, 2022, and it really arose out of the pandemic, um, vaccine mandates and masking. And we got a pretty big social media presence, uh, most particularly on LinkedIn. We ultimately were kicked off of LinkedIn, uh, as many people were can't do the, the ongoing narrative. But uh, in the process of becoming uh, very sort of popular, I used to get 60,000 views and hundreds of shares for all my posts. Uh, in, in that process, we got to know a lot of people. A lot of people got to know us, and we developed a reputation. And uh, we left to, uh, to our, start our own firm to do this kind of work, to do all the kind of work where people are being um, sort of kicked around and, and, and trampled on by government. And... Uh, so people started knowing our name. We started filing cases, and our reputation has grown since then. And uh, this case came, I think, from a referral. Uh, we have a couple other cases involving transgender issues, and this one just kind of came came to us that way. And uh, I'm telling you, there are other cases that may be in the pipeline that are maybe equally as fascinating. It's, it's a really hot topic. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um... I was involved in a case many, many years ago that had to do with a child who was born with gender uncertainty. So in other words, they were, they were basically born as both male and female. They had both anatomic components. And uh, the state, at that point, the kid was being put into foster care and the state decided which gender the kid should be and had to have surgery. Uh, and then years later, years later, this young kid starts feeling different, a different gender. And that led to a, a huge case about, you know, of what age do you have a child decide in this, that particular case? Because they could have literally been whichever they wanted to be, male or female, based on their they're in, they're in biology the, yeah based on their biological domain exactly right. um but you're saying that this really started in the pandemic what about before that how did you get into law at all as a, as a kid 
what was going on with you? Well, that's that's a whole other story. Uh, I I went to a university in Massachusetts. I majored in hotel restaurant management. And uh, wait a sec, wait. Let me let me understand. Yeah, that. So that's right. I had I have no no law in my background at all, and I went to school for hotel restaurant management. I went four years of law of a of, of college. I got my degree, but my senior year, I saw a couple guys taking uh, the LSAT, and I said, "What's the LSAT?" I had no idea. And I go, that's what you need to do to get into law school. Go, What's law school? I had no idea. Yeah. And uh, uh, they told me to go to law school three years and you take the bar, you become a lawyer. And I said, if these clowns can do it, I could certainly do it. And <laughs> that's what happened. So, you know, I, I always liked it. Uh, I was a, into debate and I was into politics and I was into writing. You know, I was a good writer. And so I thought this would be a really good uh, uh, career path for me, more so than the restaurant industry, which is would have been a good good career path but it's it's a tough path and i just thought this would be more natural for me to, to follow and so did you have to take any like pre-courses to do this sit for the lsats or did you just do no, it no it's you go to law school you find out there are people from all walks of life there you just have to get a four-year degree i tell people all the time like kids who are like looking to go to law school why would we pre-law yeah, don't do that no one cares you know do something you want to do do something that that interests you do something that will give you some education outside of the law that you can maybe, you know, you have practical knowledge, some kind of business education, history, you know, literature, whatever it is. I know one guy who was a, a clarinet virtuoso in college, and he is one of the top Supreme Court lawyers in the country right now. It's just that's, you know, that's what he did. He always knew he was going to go to law school, but he figured, well, let me do something I want to do. And he did clarinet for four years in University of Michigan, and he's argued before the Supreme Court dozens of times wow pretty amazing yeah that is incredibly amazing very different path for the mcats you know the medical school exams because if you don't know some of those things you're you're not going to do well but but then it really is in the interview where a lot of this stuff happens you know that connection with people so law school four years of law school was it the three years or four years three three and then what happened after that, Ron? I had a clerkship with a judge. I really didn't know if I was going to be a lawyer. I, I, I went to law school really for the education and to see where it would take me. I had no background. I'm, a, I'm from a, my mom's, a, I'm first generation on my mom's side. I'm second generation on my dad's side. We're very much sort of a, you know, working family and no background in, in sort of the American things beyond like the last 70 years of my, you know, my dad's life or whatever. And um, at the time, 50. And um, so, you know, we, I just, uh, I kind of got a, a clerkship and then uh, I thought I was going to go be a criminal prosecutor and that didn't work out. I got a job in a law firm in Manhattan, which kind of blew my mind. I had to take the New York bar after taking New Jersey, Pennsylvania. And I got in, the guy was doing uh, heavy duty civil white collar crime cases and fraud cases. And I did that for a year, came back to a firm in Jersey, a small firm and uh, did a lot of kind of civil work like that. And, uh, I was a beneficiary of someone's misfortune. My, my boss, uh, at the time was a young guy. He's probably about 40, 44 at the time. He was married and his wife, uh, suffered an aneurysm and died at work, uh, very suddenly. And, uh, he, uh, was, you know, obviously distraught and he went to court about two weeks after the funeral. And he wasn't mentally prepared to do it. And it was a big case. And a judge beat him up. And he came out of the courtroom. He came to the office and he 
called me and he said, Ron, uh, said, I'm not doing this anymore. And I see all those files there and he had a, you know, bunch of files that were very large, very complicated cases. So they're yours now. And uh, I had to figure out, you know, as a kid, maybe, you know, four or five years out of law school, how to handle really complicated cases. And uh, I did it. I, I did a trial against the biggest firm in New Jersey, its name partner and two other lawyers in the firm, just me and myself. I had 20 some witnesses. They offered me, I think it was $50,000 at the start of the case. It was a construction defect case. Uh, said no, I had about a million dollars in damages and uh, judge told me I really should take it. And I said, no. And uh, three weeks later, we had closing arguments. They called me back in and they offered me $640,000 and we settled the case. So for three weeks, I owned that courtroom as a young attorney and I knew I could do anything at that point. I had great confidence in myself after I pulled that off. How do you think the earlier experience of, of being in the debate club was helping? Uh, I wasn't in a debate club. I just was, uh, I like to, you know, I like to mix it up with people and, ah, you know, just a natural just, debater. Yeah. You know, it was, it was the uh, Reagan youth era. I was Reagan youth, you know, I was a, I was a guy who, uh, was a defender of Reagan in a, in a, in, in Massachusetts, uh, university of Massachusetts, which he didn't have any defenders there. And, uh, I'd write about it for the school newspaper and, uh, just to me, it was fun. Wow. Did you do any theater in high school? No. No. Oh my gosh! I, what a yeah. what a loss! I can I can <laughs> see it now. You know. Yeah. Well. Wow. Big cape. And, and Mark, how how did you guys meet? So Ron and I were in the. Uh, so Ron was at UMass prior to me being at UMass. Um, he had graduated right before I got there, but we were in the same fraternity. Right. So I got to meet Ron um, as one of the esteemed alumni one of those uh those adults that we looked up to uh, don't tell any stories that you heard about me okay <laughs> <laughs> so um i always uh connected with ron um from that perspective uh with the with the commonality of of the uh, law practice and the the stories there so i was always um following his career because as you see it's it's an envious one. He's a he's a hard swinger. He's he's a he's a a warrior for the people, which is you know it's rare air these days. And some of the things that he's working on now, um, it, it's commendable. It's it's patriotic. It's um, it's something that not a lot of our peers, my colleagues, are willing to take on, for fear of the the blowback that could possibly happen to an individual who is sticking their neck out for the little guy there are very few of us i'll say that and, and so what what could those repercussions be well uh well it, you ask me i can yeah, tell you yes. i can tell you yeah, repercussions. Yeah, i mean you know look we're we're uh uh whether you believe it or not uh, a lot of people don't believe it but uh, conservatives are being canceled left and right uh i was kicked off social media because i you know i think I hope I come across as a relatively uh, even keeled person. I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a, a Yahoo or crazy. I'm a pretty thoughtful person. And when I would put things on, uh, on, on social media, they would be thoughtful and, and uh, actual. And uh, I had, had a lot of scientific knowledge about the vaccines. I had great experts. I had the articles. I had the, uh, 
the, the studies done by Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson and Johnson. I actually read them. Uh, the studies uh, that were created before they were given approval for the vaccines. I, I knew what those vaccines were capable of and what they did and what they couldn't do. And they couldn't do what they were advertised. Um, and uh, so I would talk about it, and I'd, I'd even publish the articles. And uh, uh, But I got canceled. Um, and uh, I was kicked off. My, my wife was kicked off. Um, but I think you see it across the spectrum. And there's also uh, social, socially. Um, repercussions have been uh, really harsh uh, for, for me, for my wife. Uh, we lost a lot of friends. People have turned their backs on us. Uh, and my wife's family has stopped talking to her completely. Uh, this is uh, this is what we have to be willing to do to fight these battles on principle. As John Adams said, always stand on principle. And sometimes that means standing alone. And we're, 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 we'll stand alone if we have to, because we really believe in the things that we're fighting for. And uh, we're not afraid. We're not going to be uh, made to be afraid. And yeah, there's a definitely a social component and professional too. Uh, a lot of people in the in the profession look at us and uh, they think we're we're crazies or whatever. There was a whole article today. It's actually nice, and the, the New Jersey Law Journal did a feature on me today, which was you know, I don't think of myself as being like a you know Mr. Big Shot or anything. I'm just a guy, right? And the New Jersey Law Journal wanted to do a feature on me. I'm mean, quite flattering, and um, you know, I was it was about how I am bucking, you know, doing things that no one else does and how all these cases that are controversial I'm filing. And it's it's true. It, it, it's, within the profession, there aren't people like me. Uh, there are very few of us. And we, we kind of know who each other are. You know, we, I know people nationally who do this, mainly public interest law and, and that kind of thing. There are very few attorneys who are in the practice doing this. Well, it takes a lot to stand alone. And we're very grateful that we are not standing alone because we have all these sponsors who stand with us and who help us out. And so with that, let's uh, take a commercial break. So we're not alone, but we're going to come back with Ron Baruti in a fascinating discussion. Larry, take it away. Hey, folks, welcome back. So any thoughts? Do you listen to other podcasts? Do you see how they do the sponsors? Is there a way that they're utilizing sponsors that you enjoy or you don't enjoy? I listen to Smartless and I really enjoy how the co-hosts share the voiceover for the product or service. It's really funny for the most part, but it's unique. It's them really endorsing. Does that work? What do you think? And we're back with the Dr. Joe show with a special guest. Attorney Ron Baruti is here talking about some of the controversial cases that he has filed, controversial cases for which he's defending clients against our own government entities. And it sounds like you got a lot of really positive response as well when you were at least, you know, blogging and posting during COVID about the vaccinations. What's What was sort of the things that people were resonating with? Well, uh, really, we got a worldwide audience. We had people from Australia, uh, Netherlands, Asia, Canada, Mexico. You know, all these governments were having different forms of, of vaccine mandates and were uh, different different levels of totalitarianism is what it was. 
and uh, people were actually being thrown into what were essentially concentration camps in Australia, and they had nobody. Uh, and they people were took inspiration from what I was writing, and uh, they, I was getting asked, you know, can you help me? How can you help me? And you know, unfortunately, you can't help everybody. Um, nationally, we you know people started to get the issue where they were being mandated to get vaccinated uh, for whatever reasons, religious, medical, or just because they didn't want to be told what to do. They didn't want it. They didn't believe in it. Um, they didn't want to stick it in their body. It was just an experimental vaccine. Uh, you know, they, they wanted to see if I could help them. Uh, and uh, so that those are really the kinds of things that we were, were getting uh, responses about. I think it's such an important distinction to make. And I'm not, I just want to be sure that I've got it, that it's not necessarily being, anti-vaccination but not wanting to be told what to do is that a fair way of sort of parsing it out for some people yeah i mean some people are anti-vaccine i I mean personally i was never anti-vaccine i but i i refuse to to get these shots these are experimental and i as i said i i i know exactly how ineffective these things were because i read the studies that they were very very ineffective from the start the, everyone knew that who was involved uh, with the with them, and they basically misled the public, as far as I'm concerned, about the effectiveness of these things. And they're still doing it. Um, the Pfizer shot. Uh, there are two ways to measure uh, vaccine effectiveness uh, when in, when they're doing these studies, and the the gold standard is called the absolute risk reduction. You compare the number of people who received the benefit from the shot against the total population of the people who received the shot in the study. In Pfizer's case, it was less than 1% received the benefit. You had to shoot up something like people for one person to get a benefit. And it was on that basis that the government decided to uh, approve this shot as this sort of miracle cure for COVID. And it absolutely wasn't. It never was. And uh, this is hard for people to hear. People don't believe it. People don't want to believe it. Just go to the New England Journal of Medicine. The study's there for you to see. You can see it yourself if you read it and you understand it. That's what the study says. And um, the 95% effectiveness they advertised was a number that they got from a much smaller subset of comparing those who received the benefit from the shot versus those who, uh, I forget, it's basically the number of people who came down with COVID from the, after the shot versus those who came down with COVID with the, with a placebo. And there's a 95% differential, uh, something like that. But it's a very small, small subset of, you know, maybe under 100 people of 40,000 people in the study. So it's really misleading. But in, in, in that particular example, the well, people... Mod- Mod- Moderna, was, Moderna was much the same, and so was Johnson uh-huh. & Johnson. Moderna was something like 1.15% effective. Johnson & Johnson, the way I... I there are sort of two ways you can count Johnson and Johnson. I think it was somewhere like benefit of the doubt, like 1.8% effect. Mm-hmm. Did, did you, Ron, did you have any um, issues with not uh, taking the vaccine? Yeah, I wasn't allowed into the courthouse. I ended up suing the chief federal judge for uh, issuing an order that would require me to be vaccinated to come and stand and to, uh, and to appear and argue my client's case when I wasn't sick. Well, that sounds like it. So what happened with that one? Lost that case, and we decided to drop it on appeal. Uh, lost it on procedure, 
mainly. A lot of these cases we take federally. You know, federal uh, cases are harder uh, to get into the door than state. There are a lot of uh, there are a lot of roadblocks to get you into federal court. Jurisdictional things that are you know lawyers know about and lay people don't really know that much about called standing and ripeness and mootness. Uh, these are all things that come before you ever get to the facts of the case, uh, the meat of the case, the the issues that matter. And um, unfortunately, uh, we were we were knocked out on on procedural grounds. And um, we knew that we were never going to get really a fair shot in the appellate court because we'd just be arguing procedure and not that the not about the uh, the facts, which were that my First Amendment rights were violated, uh, and that the court exceeded its authority, its constitutional authority. I think too. And, and that that's another thing that that when I was listening to the podcast you did with Mark, the constitutional component of this. So where are things at with that right now? I mean. In our country right now, people are very divided around all sorts of issues, but certainly around, you know, who has the right to say what? Um, how do we then respond to that? Again, from, from the IM perspective, I am interested in why people think what they think, who we are, why we do what we do. So I'm just curious, without, I'm not taking a side one way or the other, because I think that why somebody thinks something, I'm never going to know and understand why if I'm judging them. They're just going to feel disrespected. They will feel devalued, and then they're not going to trust. So I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, what do you think is going on with this current divide? Big question. Take a yeah. long time to answer that one. Yeah, you got uh, four minutes, and then we'll take a break. Let, let me give you the, the, the thumbnail is that I, I think that uh, the left and the right have completely different worldviews. And uh, I don't even like to call it the right. I think that the right is a misnomer. There's mm -hmm. constitutionalism and there's non-constitutionalism. Constitution protects the idea. The Constitution is to basically inculcate the values of the Declaration or that the government will keep us as keep us as free as possible. The founding fathers of the country did not want a strong government because the history of government is what are our rights? Our rights are, as they say in the Declaration of Independence, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. We're born equal. We're all born as equal human beings. We have the same human nature. Our rights are our nature to live as human beings. Dogs live like dogs. Elephants live like elephants. Human beings live like human beings, except that governments tend to suppress human beings' uh, nature. And that becomes tyranny when that nature, when, it, when the suppression is more than just to keep uh, general societal order so we can all be free, and it becomes something about telling people how they have to live and act. The left tends to want to tell us how to live and act, what we have to do, what we have to say, what we have to think. That's my belief. And the constitutionalists uh, believe more in freedom and more in being able to make our own choices and those kinds of things. I'm a constitutionalist. Uh, it sounds, uh, you know, vac the vaccine mandates, and I'm not saying it's, I'm generalizing to a large degree, I guess, it's a, to some degree at least anyway. But I, I think that those are the general lines. And the, and the twain will never meet because uh, for those who don't like the Constitution, who see it as a nuisance, who see it as a hindrance to the way they think things should be, um, they just want things to be the way they want things to be and freedom be damned. And I think that's a grave problem we face in this country. And I think that our institutions tend to be populated by people who think this way. I think our I think our media 
is populated by people who think this way. I think our our our, our education, Hollywood, and everything else, and, and this is a problem. Our culture has become uh, not freedom oriented, so we're very divided. And all this talk about Trump and and he's going to do all these bad things. He's he's a person who believes in freedom, and so you can tag him as a horrible person, a, ty- a tyrant, or whatever. As I see him, he just wants people to be able to live their lives and and not to be forced to do the things that um, the non constitutionalists want. Hmm. Mark, you want to comment on that before our next break? Uh-huh. I mean, it, it's pretty heavy, but it seems as though it happens globally. Right. There's always uh, an elite class that thinks they need to be the ones who make the rules and tell everyone what is right and how it must be. And there seems to be this this desire for this to happen, even in places where people sought to escape that, such as America. Like we came here to seek freedom and yet. yet there's still people that say, well, you don't really know what that is, so let us regulate. Let us over-regulate you. Regulation's one thing, right? Need it to a certain degree, but it's the over-regulation. It's the, it's the we know what's best for you that is really, uh, that, that's what makes me very nervous about societies in general. Yeah, I mean... Right now in- Right now in Davos, you have the World Economic Forum, and those are the people, that's the top-down ideologues who are, you know, they're the, they're the people at the top, and they want to basically design society in a way that will be in their image. It's, it's if you see what's, if you read what's happening and, and see what they're saying. Yeah. I mean, there, there are regulations, then there are structures, there are patterns of behavior. A lot of this comes down, of course, to our limbic system and our evolution. But in terms of expectations, I know that our sponsors expect to be able to say something right now. So with that expectation, that regulation, that structure, we'll take a commercial break. We'll be right back with the Dr. Joe Show. Hey, welcome back. And again, we're super grateful for you listening to the Dr. Joe Show. If you have anyone that you think might be a good sponsor, shoot us an email at drjoepodcast at gmail.com, D-R-J-O-E podcast at gmail.com. Give us your thoughts about the show too. We're wondering, are we talking to the trees or are people really gaining value in this? Please let us know. Thank you again and enjoy the rest of the show. And we're back with the Dr. Joe Show with guest, attorney, and warrior who keeps on swinging attorney ron baruti yeah and and really a champion for so many people who seem i don't know what would you say dismissed or devalued i mean all those things that the im is saying let's let's try to understand what that is about you know why why would we have a world where these things happen but we do um, and I'm trying to understand perhaps why that happens. So we speak a little bit about the I am approach. The, the idea is we're all doing the best we can. We don't have to like what somebody's doing, but let's try to understand it. Their influence in responding to four domains, the home domain, 
no one's going to argue your home has had an influence on who you are. The social domain, which is the rest of the world, these two domains are outside. Then the two internal domains, the biological domain of your brain and body, and then what I call the IC domain. How do I see myself? How do I think other people see me? We want to be seen as valuable. Because these four domains interact, a small change in any of the domains can have a big effect. We don't need to change everything. That's the first truth of the I am. So with that in mind, Ron, what small change can you recommend to our listeners based on what we're talking about tonight? Well, thanks. And I just want to say thanks for having me because this is a very interesting uh, show. I, I appreciate your giving. So I, I think the small change, let me think about this a second. I think uh, we, we talked about uh, cancel, people being canceled. And this is really a sort of modern phenomenon, especially with social media. Um, and we used to be a society where the valued uh, dialogue and debate, as I said, I, I got into this business because I like dialogue and debate. I like listening to what other people have to say. I, I respect people having different opinions and hope they will listen to me and they'll respect the fact that I think differently. But I think we've fallen apart in our society in that respect, and we just cancel people. We, we don't listen to them. Uh, and that happens on both sides at some level. You know, we just turn people off. And I think that the key is, uh, is to listen to people, to, to give them their, give them the, let people have their point of view, discuss with people uh, that point of view, probe a bit, you know, test to see whether, you know, there's, some kind of uh, logical foundation to it, if, or and, and then talk, discuss back, and express yourself, and and express why you believe that your thinking is is the thinking. And at the end of the day, maybe both parties come out and realize they're both somewhat wrong and somewhat right, because that's probably the reality most of the time. Yeah, I think that that is. It's so I am, Ron. I, I hate to impose it on you, but that is exactly what we're recommending and suggesting is everyone has their perspective because of who they are in the world. Well, one of the exercises that I have people do is maybe you want to maybe want to do it. Audience, if you're listening, do this. So just take a look at your index finger. Go ahead. So everybody look at your index finger and close one eye. All right. Then open that eye and close the other one and go back and forth, back and forth. What do you notice? Moving. That's right. Because each of your eyes has a slightly different geographic location in the world, a slightly different perspective. And there are billions of perspectives, each one as valuable and interesting as the next. How do we get people to share those perspectives? So audience, Ron, next part of this. Keep your hands down, but close both eyes and count to three. Out loud? No, if you want to. Two, three. Yeah. So that's trust. Right? You can open your eyes. Because you don't know if I'm just going to leave or cancel things out, as you say. That's trust. How do we get people to trust us with their perspective? And I think there's only one way. They have to feel respected and valued. You treat someone with respect, they feel valued, and they then can trust. So that, that is an enormous part of who we are as human beings. We have to be able to trust others for our own survival. When that doesn't happen, it activates this deep survival response in us, and we go limbic. Fight, flight, freeze response happens. That's what's happening in the world 
all around us. It's simple biology. It's a limbic response. We can do something about it. Second truth of the I am, Ron. Everyone's got an I am. Everyone is interested through their IC domain, what you think or feel about them, which is going to have an effect on their biological domain. Because you know, it feels different when you feel respected or disrespected. And you're part of someone's home and social domain. So this means, second truth, you control no one, but you influence everyone. You get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. Lawyer, champion, warrior. What kind of influence do you want to be? Hmm. Um, professionally, well, first of all, the, the main thing is, is as a parent and, and as a family person, uh, you know, I want to be a, a, a loving, caring father, husband, uh, person who will leave a mark with people who are after me and say, you know, I, I learned something from him and he was, it was good. And, uh, and I want to emulate that. That's, that's as a person, that's what I want to be. Um, professionally, it's a bit different. Professionally, what I'd like to do is to leave a mark also. Um, hope to be somebody who uh, makes it makes a difference in the law that will be uh, have an influence across the United States uh, or to, to positively impact freedom and, and, and people's way of life that, that they can be free and and uh, and is and not have to worry about sending their kids to school who have their minds poisoned and uh, all these different things. I, I just w I want to have that kind of impact. Yeah. Powerful. Mark, you want to respond to that? Do I want to respond to how he wants to yeah. make an impact? Yeah, that influence. Well, I think he's already making a tremendous impact. Um, right. I know uh, as a family man, he certainly is. And I know that there are generations behind him that are going to look up and say, that was my dad. That was my grandfather. He did that. Uh, in the professional fields, he's doing amazing, amazing things because others aren't, right? We talk about that standing alone. It is a lonely island when even your colleagues are like, are you sure you want to do that? Are you sure you want to take them on? Because they could come for you too. And it's, it's rare air when you can sit with somebody who says, no, 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 I have to do this. And, um, and, and that's, that's, that's really inspiring. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad to know this gentleman as a friend. Thanks. Likewise. Uh, it just, I can just jump in my, you talked about grand grandparents, my, my, uh, uh, my, my hero in life. And it's not to say my, my other people aren't heroes too, but my hero in my life is my grandfather who, Escaped communism. He uh, he he avoided capture by the Nazis. He outsmarted the SS actually uh, during World War II in Europe. And then when the communists came, he refused to join. And uh, they were going to make him a homeless person and make his family homeless. And uh, he escaped, and all he wanted to do was be free. And he just wanted to raise his family and 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 have a earn a decent living and make their lives better than his was. And uh, he risked everything precious to him to do that, and he succeeded. And to me, that's true heroism. And uh, it also influences why I, I'm doing the things that I'm doing. I, it, 
he risked everything to be free and, and so many others did too his was only one story and you'd always say oh, i'm just one story so many people have risked everything to be free and and, and why and uh freedom is freedom is exciting and it's valuable we all want to be free we all want to live in our as in our own human nature uh be told how to live um at some level and uh so that that's that's very important to me we all want the same thing and it's simply yeah, to be valued and right. when you're being told what to do against your will certainly doesn't feel like you're being valued yeah. so i thought uh, i thought it would make a nice conversation it's been great but would you say it, it's fair that law in general is designed to try to restore value so law is about when one person has been devalued by another person by a system by a group does is that what law is meant to be is so to say, uh, go ahead. I, I have a whole philosophy on on that and um i i like to think of myself as a pretty deep thinker about stuff um and I, I, you know, I, I started going into a little bit about freedom and what freedom is. And uh, I'm a big Declaration of Independence guy. And if you can read that document and you and you understand it, it's absolutely amazing what they're saying and, and what they're thinking, uh, especially in the preamble part, the early part and the end part. In between, you know, it's different. It's it's more issues of the day. Um, but the opening talks about. With respect to government, you know, what is government's role? Government's role is to keep us free, essentially. And to, to paraphrase, it's to keep us free. And when government isn't keeping us free anymore, um, we have the duty to to throw off government. That's what they say. And um, how does government keep us free? What does the law do? So if if the idea is that we're all supposed to live within our nature, and we're supposed to be able to do our best to achieve as, as whatever we want to achieve in life to the extent that we that we uh, given us this power to do so, or, or you know, nature, whatever you believe. Um, you know, we came from something. Nature, God, 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 strictly uh, one-dimensional there. Um, but we we each have our our, our human nature, and uh, we want to do. We all do the same things. We we speak freely. We worship or we don't worship. We uh, defend ourselves. We um, we uh, we raise families. We we create families. Uh, we meet with our friends. We do do all these things. We gather. We we try to gather property for the betterment of our lives. So if everyone is doing this and they're not doing it without harming somebody else's freedom, they're not. I'm not stealing your. I'm not taking your water bottle. Right. I've gotten my water bottle uh, my way and you've gotten your water bottle your way. And I'm not getting my water bottle, but taking yours away um, or I'm not uh, killing you to take it. And that's two different two different parts of law. You have civil law and you have criminal. Law. And, and the civil law is when I when I take your. And um, what, what law does and how law protects supposed to protect freedom is there is a penalty for taking your bottle away. This bottle was worth a dollar, and I've now taken it from you, and I've now deprived you of that dollar. And there's a civil punish. There's a civil penalty for that. Of I, we go to court, and you sue me, and court corrects and re re repositions us to 
where I have to give you back that dollar. And that's called justice. Justice mm -hmm. is the just thing to do is that I have to give that back to you so we can go on living our free lives. Criminally, uh, criminally, if uh, I take your life, say, for the bottle, um, or if I harm you, or if I, I, I scare you with a, with a weapon, um, I've done something beyond just taking your property. I've done something to your person that the only just justice, the only just thing to do is to do something to my person, to take away my liberty, perhaps, to compensate for what I did to you. Um, and the, the ultimate of that is the death penalty. If I've taken your life, what's the true justice for taking someone's life? It's to give your life up. I think that's that's the death penalty debate that a lot of people would, would uh, I think, a, a pure justice person could, could see. I know, you know, of course, they're they're mitigating factors, et cetera. But um, I think that's what the that's what the system is supposed to be. That's what that's what justice is. It, it's putting people back, putting things back in their proper order. And for those people who who decide that they're going to use their freedom to take away others' freedom, there's going to be a price to pay, either civilly or criminally. And it's that balance, Dr. Joe. It's the blind balance, right? So no one should have more power than another in a true free society. But why should we replicate the very behavior that we are trying to exterminate? Why, why, and I, I'm, I'm not saying that there shouldn't be consequences, of course, for every action, you have a consequence, but I'm not sure how it helps for us to repeat in some way, the very thing that we're saying is not a good thing. You're saying for every action, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction, right? The equal and opposite reaction in, in the pure justice world of me taking your life is my life being taken. It's the equal and opposite reaction, isn't it? That's science. That's physics. Yeah. Now, um, so, so, I, so there, is, uh, there certainly are arguments to be made that maybe as a society, uh, we are not so harsh sometimes and um, our, our, our Brilliant founding fathers uh, put that into put that into the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. They, we um, the the decision as to uh, whether or not we've done a certain crime that will merit a certain punishment will be made by a jury of our peers. It will be done speedily. It won't be done so that we're spending our you know, spending uh, years in prison waiting for a, a decision. It'll be done. Uh, without being uh, meeting out cruel and unusual punishments, so there are there are guardrails, societal guardrails that are put on um, on this justice system uh, that uh, that that do protect people. Then you have uh, then you have uh, we have an elected governments, right? We have the the purpose of legislatures. Legislatures are supposed to be where whereas all Three branches of government are, are co-equal. Legislatures are the ones that are most close to the people, especially the, the uh, say, the Assembly or the House of Representatives in the, in the case of, uh, of, of the United States Congress, because uh, they're the local people. They're the people you elect to, to represent your interests. 
And ideally, uh, they're going to be wise people, wise men and women who are going to say, you know what, do we really have to kill somebody because he killed somebody? Shouldn't there be mitigating factors that are considered? Shouldn't there be other things that go into the mix? And that, and, and the laws are passed that way. And in a free system, in, a, in our, you know, we're not a democracy, we're a republic, a, a representative constitutional republic. And we we put people into office to to make those moral judgments for us to who hopefully make the kind of judgments that will will do what you say. It's not just going to be an eye for an eye. It's going to be a little bit more uh, thoughtful than that, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I mean, it, it, if we keep doing an eye for an eye, you know, this this is this is part of our our brain and our evolution, right? We started off with just a brainstem, basically just keeping us alive. It's still there. It's responsible for everything automatic. We don't, we're not even aware of it. We're not aware that we're breathing. We're not aware that our heart is beating. These are things automatic. The next part of the brain was the limbic system. This is that irrational, emotional, impulsive part of the brain. And then we developed the neocortex. Neo is new, cortex is brain, the new brain that distinguishes us really as mammals. And in particular, this part right behind our forehead, the prefrontal cortex, which is the ability, has the ability for rational thought, for solving problems, executing a plan, and anticipating what will happen next. The limbic system doesn't do that. The limbic system is about here and now, let's just get things done. But we have this prefrontal cortex. How many times have you done something limbic impulsively and slapped your forehead as if you're trying to jumpstart your prefrontal cortex. If we keep doing limbic, we know what will happen next. We will destroy ourselves. That's what will happen. And we have this rare opportunity now, this remarkable, what I truly believe is an evolutionary cusp. I really think we're right on this brink where we can do something different or we can stay limbic. We can stay in that primitive, irrational part that there isn't enough to go around. And if you've got something that puts me at a disadvantage, so I'm going to take something from you. And then again, astonish the other person does the same. But what I'm suggesting, keep it frontal, don't go limbic. So this is sort of an interesting aside. My uh, my wife partner, her father was a real uh, powerful lawyer in New Jersey, and uh, third, she's a third generation uh, lawyer, and he was one of the top litigators in the state, uh, really in the country. He represents he is like he did major, major, major cases. He was run over by a, a car uh, riding a bike, and he had major frontal lobe damage where he lost all memory of the past and he essentially had the executive function when he eventually did come out they somehow or other he managed to survive um, when he did have uh when he came out of it he had the executive function of a seven-year-old and you see how you know if everyone was like him uh things wouldn't work out so well you know we'd we'd really uh where we we grow our adult brains and and that's actually that goes really to the transgender thing too it's something i didn't talk about and it's something that's not really 
I think it's something that's going to end up in one of my cases eventually. But our brains, as you indicated, we don't fully develop until we're about 25. And we're having, you know, in some cases, five, eight-year-olds deciding their gender or starting to decide just wrong. And you, and you see the studies. Uh, the studies, interestingly, the two, two, two parts of the studies. One part is that the, the, the most vulnerable for being uh, uh, transitioned are tend to be autistic uh, Aspergers, uh, kids with with uh, with backgrounds that are difficult, um, they're they're more susceptible tend to be more susceptible to this kind of uh, uh, thinking. And then the other thing is, um, there's a huge drop off after the age of 25 in people who want to transition, which to me says they're now fully functioning. They have fully functioning brains, and they're more able to rationalize and and think through the consequences and decide that maybe there's a, a different path to take. Uh, so I, I think the whole nation, the, the whole nation, the whole notion of uh, people making this decision before the age of 25 is, is insane that we're really destroying people's lives um, in a lot of cases, maybe not every case, but certainly in a lot of cases. Yeah. I, honestly, I, I don't think our brains are ever fully developed. And I, I don't mean that silly or facetious, because every every moment is a moment where we have more information. It changes the neural net. But so many people are so unhappy, and I agree with you. I've had so many people who want to transition because they just want to be a different gender because they think maybe I won't be so hurt. Maybe if I was a girl, I wouldn't be so hurt as I've been as a boy. Maybe if I was a boy, I wouldn't be so hurt as I've been as a girl. I, I really think that, that that is a part of it. This wish to just escape the, the trauma. It's to be accepted, I think, a lot of times. I think a lot of these kids are, they're, 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 they target the kids who are misfits. We used to... You know, we used to make fun of kids like that, right? We didn't, we, autism wasn't a thing and it wasn't really the thing anyone talked about or knew about. First I ever heard of autism was the movie Rain Man, you know, 1989. Mm, right. Uh, 1988, 89 it was. Um, so, you know, now, now the, the incidences of it are, are blowing up. Some of that probably is because it just wasn't something that was diagnosed. But, you know, yeah. those are the kids you'd make fun of or they were the misfits, et cetera. Uh, sadly, you know, we look back on time, he goes, geez, that was really terrible. But, that's just the way things were. And, um, you know, misfits always want to fit in. And uh, we were talking today, uh, we had the interview with the Epic Times, and the reporter asked, he said uh, something to the effect of, um, to the father, did you, uh, was your daughter, did her participating in this group that, where she ultimately came out as, Right. Uh, was that important to her? And yeah, it was, that was her, that was her social circle. And like, you know, this one is pansexual and this one is that, and this one is that, and this one is the other thing. When you come down to the next kid, you know, you're going to say, well, I'm straight. And I don't, you know, you're, you're going to want to fit into that group because this is your comfort zone. Right. And, um, and, and so you almost, kids are these kind of misfitting kids are trying to fit in. And they're, they're finding a group that, that, that they fit in with. 
mm-hmm. and they and they go with it and it makes them feel good because they're 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 accepted like you said they're 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 valued by people they right. someone values them and uh that's really important uh but it's it's a sad way to go about it yeah it is the the autistic spectrum people the core difficulty in all autistic spectrum is difficulty with something called theory of mind. It's not like theory of evolution or theory of quantum mechanics. It's part of our development. We cannot see somebody else's mind, so we have to guess and theorize what they think or feel. It is the root of empathy. And spectrum folks have difficulty with that. So My, they, they, they make stepsons on the spectrum. It's okay. you, you, you nailed it. It's it's there's no empathy. It's a lack right. of empathy, and it's, it's the way he's built. Right, but every person is still interested in what you think about them. Mm-hmm. So the autistic kid may have no idea why somebody is treating them the way they are, but they know they're being treated that way. That's the that's the key to this. Is Theory of mind, we know, develops around the age of 18 months. If it's not in place by the age of three, that kid's probably on the spectrum. But that's the second part of theory of mind to develop. The first part is, what do you think about me? And that happens in everyone. It doesn't matter what your your intellectual capacity is, what your theory of mind component is, that first part of theory of mind, everyone is interested in what you think or feel about them and how they're treated. Think of a baby. A baby certainly doesn't have empathic response, but they have communicative response. They know how they're being treated. They'll cry if they're not being treated well. They'll laugh if they're being treated well, but they have no idea until they're older how to reciprocate that with somebody else. Hmm. As parents, we just eat it up. I mean, that's, that's, that's been the remarkable part of evolution is that, you know, we connect with our kids, but we're modeling for them. You know, that's our home domain. We're, we are modeling. And what I hope that we can do is just, just teach them to be kind, you know, and yeah. to value others. You know? Anyway, I didn't mean to. No, it's great stuff. You know? I love it. You are welcome back. Anytime, I'd, I'd be fascinated to hear where these things progress to. And um, please, you know, please keep in touch. Come back. I know I'll keep in touch with you through Mark. You know, if you ever want to read Unleashing the Power of Respect, one of my books, or do we still have copies of Do You Really Get Me, Mark? Like dozens oh, yeah. and dozens of them? Yeah. yeah. Maybe you want to send one over to Ron because it's all it's about you and the I am. Love that. You want to. And then how did you two, how did you two connect? We were on a board together uh, 15 years ago and connected deeply right away. Yeah. Yeah. We were on. Do you remember Zoom, uh, the show from the 70s? Of course. This is Joe from Zoom. Really? Yeah. I'm Joe. (laughs) Yeah. Matter of fact, you can see that over there in the corner. That's the the poster that's up on the WGBH wall over there. That's me. Joe. Can't can't remember that, but uh, I remember Zoom. I remember the show. I don't really, I don't think I watched it much as a kid. It came after Sesame Street, and I think after Sesame Street, I was done. Right. Sesame Street, then Electric Company. Company. Yeah, that's right. That's right. 
It's kind of like that, that three is PBS though, right? Zoom. Yeah, PBS. Yeah. Thanks, Mars. Yeah. So that's how we met. And then um, I said, you got to get this, you, you got to get this message out to the world. And we've been strategizing around that for the last six or so years of getting his IM approach to as many people as possible because it is important. And it's, it's that brilliance of uh, taking something so complicated and, and simplifying it. And yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. Check it out. Yeah. And, and again, this is influence, right? You really control no one. We influence everyone. And I think part of what you've been talking about tonight is, is the attempt for large agencies to control others, not just influence them, but to actually control them and mandate what they do. And I think that there will always be rebellion against that because we have to have our freedom. We have to have the ability to choose, but then we have to be responsible for those choices. And responsibility is different than blame. We must be responsible for our choices. Folks, thanks so much for listening tonight. Ron, Rudy, thank you so much for your wisdom tonight. Really appreciate it. And thanks for all you do. Thanks, thanks for both of you. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Stretch the canvas, brush with madness. Is it sadness or just a show? Then go, 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 go.